Welcome back to the Cock and Ball podcast, where we look at all things Spurs in the time it takes to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. I'm Tom, aka Fenn, your third tier of European podcast host for this evening. And alongside me is a man who's hoping Spurs draw aside from Belarus, because most Ryanair flights seem to fly by Minx nowadays. It's Ash. <laughs> Good evening, Tom. How are we? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, and also with me tonight is a man who's hoping Spurs draw the Azerbaijani side some gayet, because we'd all, we should all be free to choose. It's Jules. Hey mate, <laughs> how you doing? Oh, very good, thank you. These are all genuinely teams who have qualified for the uh, Europa Conference League, by the way. Anyway, finally tonight um, is a man who's hoping Spurs draw the Danish side Aarhus, because it's only in the middle of the street. It's Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you've saved the worst puns for the last part of the season. <laughs> we absolutely are. It's the final uh, normal episode of the season. I'm not saying we're, we're just going to stop over the summer, but We'll probably talk about our summer plans later, but it's uh, finally we're at the end of what seems like a very long uh, and tiring season. Thank goodness. At the start of the season, we released our inaugural pod uh, and made some predictions on how the season would pan out. Uh, we can't actually remember what we said, uh, and we were stupid enough to broadcast it in the public domain. So Jules has been <laughs> back uh, to find out what, what we actually said. Yeah, interesting experience, this, listening back. Um so we made predictions for bottom three, for top four, and for when Mourinho would get sacked, if you remember. So shall we start shall we start with bottom three with the rele- relegation ones? I'm gonna go in ascending order of ludicrousness here. <laughs> so Ash went for a very sensible selection. Two out of three, right? He went for Fulham, West Brom, and Brighton. You said that you thought Brighton wouldn't have the firepower, and I think Brighton would agree with you. They didn't have the firepower, <laughs> but they did survive. They just so, happened to be a worse team. Yeah, I, I, I think that's quite a solid effort myself. Um, and the reason I'm trying to praise you, Ash, is because mine, well, Fulham and West Brom were great shouts. However, my third nomination for relegation was a certain Aston Villa. <laughs> which in retrospect is maybe a little punchy um but i'm delighted to say that my poor choices were uh i don't know compounded by jim jim went for villa crystal palace and west ham he got <laughs> none of them right <laughs> oh dear west ham got europa <laughs> and in the words of jim this is a direct quote jim West Brom would be fine because, quote, one thing they've got to their advantage is Slaven Bilic. <laughs> Absolutely magnificent. <laughs> Fairly confident if they'd have kept Slaven Bilic, they could have stayed up, to be honest. I but... actually agree. So <laughs> but, yeah, fair, fair point. I've had a shocker there. <laughs> Very enjoyable. Um, I'm discounting Fenn because Fenn's were that Leeds, Arsenal and West Ham would go down and that Spurs would win the title. <laughs> so I'm just not even counting <laughs> Fenn's nominations in this ludicrous, ludicrous segment. On to top four. So in, well, sort of most pessimistic order first, uh, I had Spurs sixth. And uh, both Jim and I had the exact same four, which were Liverpool for the title, City, Chelsea, United. So okay, we did all right. <laughs> we've, we've we've got the right four. We've just got our orders mixed up. Yeah. Ash, uh, well, Ash. On the one hand, <laughs> you correctly predicted City would win the title. However, you also thought Spurs would finish third. <laughs> <laughs> worked out a little bit different, hasn't it? I had, I had Spurs at sixth and Jim had them at fifth. So maybe I was the most pessimistic in this, this sorry bunch. Um, finally, let's go for... Oh, and also one other cracking quote of Jim's, which I had to bring back up. Donny van der Beek is a great signing and a potential player of the season. Don't think it's quite got <laughs> correction for Donny. <laughs> Not quite worked that one, has it? There's a couple, couple wide of the mark. I like the way that Jim, if it's like eighty percent is bullseye, but the other one is like he's shooting himself in the foot. Like he's, he's so far off target. Um, finally, Mourinho sacked. What well, anger? What about Fan? 
Oh, well, Fenn said that Spurs would win and that the rest of the top four would be Spurs, Spurs and Spurs. So he doesn't count. You did. And for next season, we've got to actually hold you to some proper predictions because this was bullshit on your part, Fenn. Well, if we were the only ones left in the Super League, that would have been right. In, in a way, you had, you had astounding logic. So basically what you're saying is if this was the Nations League, Fenn would have been relegated. That's the way yeah. I'm looking at it. <laughs> and finally Mourinho's sacking so I, I went early which maybe was a reflection of the fact that I'm, 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 my hatred of him was known from the very from the word go um, I said that he would be sacked on the 4th of Jan 2021 so not, not far off not far off couple of months but I was the only person who said he'd be sacked this season Ash uh, sorry, Jim, you said November 2021, so you thought the start of next season. Okay, so it was only six months out. I'll take that. <laughs> Ash and Fenn, the pair of you, should be ashamed. You guessed, respectively, November and December 2022. <laughs> you actually really? thought it was going to last his full three years, basically. I remember I saying that he'd... I remember saying he'd win a trophy as well, didn't I? <laughs> to be fair, Ash, I joined you on that. We both yeah. thought Europa League was going to happen. Um, and Fenn just picked the exact day from when he was hired three years to the day. Which I, <laughs> I, respect the, <laughs> I respect the maths behind it, but I'm not so sure as a winning strategy. It was just laziness, wasn't it? He just couldn't be asked. to yeah. pick. <laughs> if you, if you, so if you take, take Fenn's predictions in the round, he basically could not be asked to think about anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say we've done a we've we, we've had a we've had a mixed bag there, lads. Had a mixed bag, but it'll be interesting for our next season. See how we get on. If uh, the same thing of me being pessimistic, Ash being overly optimistic, <laughs> Jim just being wildly inaccurate, <laughs> and then hopefully Fen next time can give us some proper predictions. We also could do a lot better. So. <laughs> well, to be fair. Barry Glendening predicted that Benteke would get top goal scorer at a World Cup when he wasn't in the World Cup. So <laughs> I'd say yeah. we're, if nothing else, we're better than that Irishman. Like, well, you're better than that Irishman, Fen. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, speaking of only, it can only get better. Uh, the season is over. Thank God. We finished seventh, tied for the uh, inaugural Europa Conference League. Um, just generally, looking back as a season, considering everything that's happened, re- disregard our predictions. Um, Ash, what are your, what are your feelings on, on, on where we've come and what this means going forward? It's a really, trickle, uh, really tricky season to take in because it's, it's, been, it's felt so emotional more than ever. And I think a lot of that is because... because of obviously not being able to do anything other than watch football and football being on every single day, what it feels like. And yeah, without, without pubs being open, without being able to see mates or see family, we needed something to escape from sort of the mundane day to day. We just wake up, walk into your spare room or just into the living room and do work and then go back to bed. And so, I mean, personally, I put all my hope into Tottenham basically. And that was, that was ridiculous. (laughs) That's so, a poor decision. How it's much terrible. is the therapist costing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should redecorate or something. Yeah, so I mean, we've, we've, we've had a lot, a lot shitter seasons than this. I'm old enough to remember quite a few. Um, if you don't, kids, look at the 90s. <laughs> it was yeah. a horrible time. But yeah, it, it feels it feels really bad because, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a year when we needed something to be proud of, something to look forward to. And not only were we shit in terms of a lot of results, but the football was just fucking dire. Absolutely awful for so long. Um, so, yeah, I, le- I, I left it. I feel shit. I feel really shit, Tom. <laughs> Help me out. Well, it's, it mainly felt dire because dire was so dire and dire <laughs> played a lot of football. Um, but moving on, uh, Jim, you're, you're the resident outsider. Um, obviously, you don't necessarily have a, a horse in the race, but... Obviously, you do find it interesting to watch and probably quite quite comedic for you to watch a lot of the time. Uh, it's quite nice knowing, you know, having watched a comical football club all my life that uh, I'm not alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think 
the issue I've had this season and the kind of one of the issues I've had with this pod in a way is for a lot of the season more than even more than being shit Spurs have been boring I mean, say, um, say how you really feel, mate. You've well, wasted every Monday of your year. No, I've done it. And I've Sunday enjoyed, and Thursday. I've enjoyed doing it in spite of Spurs, if that makes sense. Just, uh, it, I don't know. It's just like Ash is saying, it felt like this was a season where you needed a bit of hope and happiness and what you got was Jose Mourinho at his best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you, I mean, you got, got to a cup final. Fair enough. Missed out on the Champions League, missed out on the Europa League, <sighs> lost in the Europa League to Lask. Was it Lask? No, it wasn't Lask. Dinamo. Dinamo. Um, Their coach was in prison. <laughs> I mean, literally jailbait. Being generous, five out of ten. I think that's very generous. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about well, right, if I'm honest. Bearing in mind, Fulham probably had a four out of ten season and they went down. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bad year for me, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so Jules, how are you doing? <laughs> um I, I'm sort of a uh, I both agree with Ash that it hasn't been an enjoyable viewing. Uh, and primarily because actually more than the results, I I like just watching us have a go and try and to score goals and <laughs> We've we've really kind of <laughs> rejected that ethos for quite a substantial <laughs> chunk of the season. Um, but the two reasons that I I feel sort of more positive now is it's been a bit like, you know, when a mate is dating a girl and you're like, oh, that's just got to end. And you're just waiting for when they break up so it can all go a bit back to normal. <laughs> like right now, that is that's how I, I sort of I feel that wonderful moment. I've been waiting for Mourinho and Spurs to break up and now it's done. I can have a pint with sort of hypothetical Spurs and I can slag off Mourinho and say she was never good enough for you anyway, mate. It's absolutely <laughs> fine. Like, don't worry about it. Back on the horse. Like, all those things. Um, so what's Ryan Mason? I mean, that's not even a one-nighter, is it? <laughs> I mean, that is... That's the <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Mason is when, when you see them going up to their ex and you're like, that's not a good decision, but it could be a worse decision. That's, that, <laughs> that's Ryan Mason. Um... But on the other hand, and you know, Ashley mentioned about this pod and whether or not we've wasted Jim's year, football has been an escapism for a lot of people this year. It's been a, a, a way of structuring their time, their week, their life in the absence of sort of normal life. Um, and this pod having something to do on a Monday evening where I get to chat and laugh and kind of recreate the fun of the pub um, has been actually quite special in a way. Mm -hmm. So... It is it is a it is a weirdly nice feeling in spite of um, Spurs having been pretty shit. I'm quite excited still because our season hasn't ended yet, so I've got a <laughs> glorious playoff defeat to come. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a man stooped in uh, sorry steeped in um, Stockport tradition right there. <laughs> that you yeah. know that's the likelihood. <laughs> Who you got? Don't know yet. It depends. It depends where we'll either finish third or fourth, and then that dictates who we get and how many games we have to play. But the the National League playoff format's different to to how it is in the football league. It's it's uh, uses the same model they use in Italy, which is actually a lot more exciting. Um, which I guess I can go into some other time when we've inevitably lost. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's quite good. What about you, Fen? You do a lot of um, you do a lot of tweeting. Some of it is libelous, problematic. Um. <laughs> some of it is also absolute gold dust, though. I think we've I've, some of my happiest moments this year have been have been seeing the magic that Fens managed to come out with. For, yeah, for yeah. Our Insta. I feel like I can let the eighty five percent shit posting slide for the fifteen percent gold. <laughs> yeah, you've got a shit post to get the traffic up in it. Like we've got to play the game. Play the game. I, I take that it's a game of numbers. <laughs> At cock and ball underscore pod on Twitter if you're if you're interested. And we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Lovely. Um yeah, this season, five out of ten, you said. Probably have to agree, but in the grand scheme of seasons, this isn't the worst. I agree with Ash. Like I remember the nineties. I remember the man in the raincoat. My dad still won't say his name. So <laughs> it has been a lot worse. I remember in the early noughties, the the club would come to our school 
and literally give out free tickets because they couldn't fill the ground because we were so much in Arsenal's shadow. You remember the, the behemoth that, that they were under Wenger in those days. Uh, and we were nothing. We were mid-table mediocrity, which um, we did slightly better than this season. But I, I'm old enough to remember where we were and where we were for some time. I don't remember the glory years, which were back in the 80s, really, if we're honest, um, which shows it's been, you know, almost 40 years since we, we were good. So uh, <laughs> Spurs fans have obviously, all top football fans have got a short memory. Um, and it, it's something they should bear in mind. And I think in the grand scheme of football as well, We've seen so many clubs struggle recently. We've seen clubs legitimately going out of business. And even in even in the last, well, 10 years, we've seen the likes of Leeds and Southampton drop down into the third tier and, and have to come back up. And you remember where, you know, less so less Southampton, but, you know, Leeds were a European mm. regular. And, and Leicester with. as well. Worth remembering, Leicester yeah. were in League One 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But don't don't upset me in the last pod, if I'm honest. Is you all uh, oh, nice little plucky Leicester? Yeah, it's good for them. Good for them getting their FA Cup win. No, fat Leicester. I hate them. <laughs> Bit of context for that. This is the first time in twelve years that we finished outside the top six, which is considering where we were. That is a massive. That was a you know a massive achievement for us during those um, during those twelve years. And again, during that period, all of Chelsea, United, Liverpool and Arsenal, or they've all missed out on Europe at least once. So, yeah, I think the other thing as well that I was thinking of is how many teams uh, with a poor squad finished above Spurs? And I think there's only West Ham, mm. you know, who played, had an extraordinary season. I don't think anybody would dispute that. So uh, it happens, doesn't it? And uh and also the Europa Conference League, even though it's Jules was desperately hoping it wouldn't happen, I think it could <laughs> be so quite unha- fun. I'm so unhappy that we're in it. <laughs> Just robbing my Thursday evenings for a full year to watch such shit teams play football. Do you still feel the same, Jules? Do you still think we would have been better off without the Conference League? I think if we weren't in the Conference League, you'd finish higher in the league table the following season. Um number one and number two if we win the conference league do we really will we feel good about that i just feel like there's no there's no there's I no great win to it because yeah. if you've spent 12 years 13 years being desperate for a trophy and the the conference league is a is a cup that you've probably got a better chance of winning than even the league cup i think think about the league cup in most years there are five teams with better squads than Spurs, or four teams at least with better squads than Spurs in that competition. Are there going to be five teams better than Spurs in the Conference League? Probably not. No, I'm not. But, you know, but do, you know, do you know who is in the Conference League? Rory Melbourne with Jose. Jose Mourinho, yeah. It's going to happen, isn't it? It's going to happen. I'm not even bothered about trying to win it. I just, I'm looking forward to seeing the likes of, um, of Scarlett and... Um, Divine get a bit more minutes you know it's a great opportunity to bring through the youth we saw Harry Kane come through with a lot of the uh, Europa League before he made his his starts in the Premier League so you know we've got to take the positives that come with it otherwise um, which end up really sad and depressed won't we so <laughs> it's, I, th- I think it's a good thing that you that we're planning for his inheritance sort of like, ready. <laughs> it's also a, there's some potential for some quality away days as well um, assuming that they are able to happen again, which hopefully they will be able to, like uh, Union Berlin are in there, Villarreal are in there, some of the teams that finished third in the Europa League, um, Aberdeen, Hibernian, um, there's a bit of potential to have a, a bit of fun, I think. To be fair, in a way, in a way they would, would make it a lot more sort of palatable to me. <laughs> Do you see that one? I don't know which. I really want to know which club it is. Um, I think it's one of the ones that's got to qualify, but it's um, the ground is next to a train station, and it's a, the the train line is run by steam trains. Yeah, I did I've, see that. I've seen it. There's also one, one where the runway to a, to an airport is literally behind the goal. <laughs> I love the idea of the goalkeeper taking the kick. And like trying to get some distance on the ball, and then like the plane sucking the ball back in the opposite direction. 
yeah, yeah, generally could happen. I think some jokes have already been made about Suzuka being an irritant to the local air traffic control anyway. Uh, but I, th- I think, yeah, like like we say, like Ash says, to breed the youth in that competition, if we want to get back to our DNA, in inverted commas, whatever that means, <laughs> um, we want to bed in youth, then that's the best way to do it, to have a competition that, you know, we, we're good enough to, to progress well and the competition will allow us to rotate heavily. So yeah, I think I think there are more positives than negatives to it, hopefully. Uh, and the finals in Albania, which is a fascinating country and apparently uh, the capital is actually quite quite an interesting place to go, as in not as bad as Albania sounds. So I'd love to go to Albania. <laughs> and, and that could I can just see the Albania tourism advert now when it when things reopen. Albania, not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> How long before they sponsor Cock and Ball? <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, Albanian tourist board, we're listening. Is Albania? Am I right in thinking that they've been accused of quite a lot of racist, uh, like racist fans at England games, or am I mixing mixing them up? I think there was I that like there incident was. last year, wasn't there? Gonna, uh, yeah, didn't England play there last year? Mm. And I feel like there was a lot of racism. And we really, I seem to remember we actually struggled to beat them. They've got a lot of good players, to be fair. They've got two good keepers. You got a good right back. They're all playing Italy. <laughs> you do realize first thing, that... you, first thing you need with that, they've got two good keepers. Well, only one of them. Can fucking play. Like, no, but my point is, they've got strength. Yeah, it's a good team. Strength and anyway, One area of pitch. Quite, but, quite literally, the one area you can't rotate. Well, I only started with goalkeepers. I listed other positions. <laughs> one other position. The other big issue here is that the Albanian national team haven't qualified for the Europa Conference League. So their national players are absolutely irrelevant. The final is in Albania. The Albanian clubs aren't even relevant here. And most of them play in Italy, as you claim, all their goalkeepers. So it's a bit of a mute conversation. All I'm saying is I'd like to go to Albania. You've upset me now. Positive signs, lads. Like we're 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 past the worst of it, and hopefully in a couple of time we'll record a podcast, and I can take you through um, the coach's voice episode of Graham Potter and exactly what his uh, style of football is. Yeah, exactly. And uh, although you might not be looking forward to that, there are things to look forward to uh, in the future of Tottenham, uh, which was revealed to us today. The, the new home kit for the, the coming seasons coming out. It's very minimalistic. If you listen to uh, one of our earlier pods, so I can't remember when we talked about kits because we love kits. They're, they're such an important thing uh, to do with the, the style of football. And they, they, you look at a kit and you remember the era and the football being played at the time. They're iconic. We've stripped it back to a minimalist kit, which a lot of us like. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Ash. I'm, I'm absolutely in love with it. I think it's the nicest kit we've had in a long time. Um, my favourite in recent years has been from, I think it was our first season in Wembley when we had the cockerel and the badge and sort of mm. a mostly white kit. We've For too long, we've, we've seen the likes of Nike try to do some random shit on our kits that just don't work. Um, I don't know what the pattern was on our home kit this year. Um, <laughs> even the <laughs> iconic green kit, what the fuck was that? So I'm all down for <laughs> minimalistic. I'm I'm a fan of the the style. The only thing is, and I, I, maybe this is me kind of reading too much into it. I feel like we've gone for like slimming stripes like across the body to like sort of help <laughs> help help certain lads walking down the Tottenham High Road. Like I don't know, yeah. look look their best as they get a doner kebab. It's for Ndombele, that isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it won't look good on me. I put it that way. I think you 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 expect those hoops to kind of stack vertically, and, and they'll start to kink out of shape, which uh, certainly be a good look. But I've seen rumours of this uh, what could be a second or third kit. You've seen it's like a marble effect. It, it you know I don't really know how to describe it. It's it's a throwback to sort of goalkeeping tops from the nineties. It looks bizarre, but I kind of like it. Yeah, I really like it. I expect it'll be. Um, like a full kit or just a kit that we make just so we can sell a few more copies of FIFA or something. Um, a bit like the weird grey one that had the Nike Air Max logo. But yeah, if it didn't cost an arm and a leg, I'm sure I'd buy one. 
<laughs> yeah, well, maybe this time next year you get one in the sale. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing that we could, we could, dreams are made of, mate. Dreams yeah. are made. It could be iconic because you'll look at that, that crazy marble kit and you'll go, yeah. That's when we won the inaugural Europa Conference League. We finally got 10,000 fans into White Hart Lane for the final home game of the season. In a 2-1 loss to a tricky Villa side, where the only positive ash uh, was that it was less of a queue for the train at Northumberland Park Station. Yeah, there was, um, if I remember correctly, there was two showers of shit that day, weren't there? One was the weather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the rest was the devil, one was the performance. It was... Everything we've bad, well, we've seen that's bad in a Tottenham team this year sort of culminated in that performance. Um, no pressing, there was absolutely no creativity, and a lot of that I blame on Mason for his selection of Winks and Hoiberg in the midfield. It was it was horrible to watch, and I, I felt it was about as low after that game as I as I had done all season. And to be fair, one of the most spectacular own goals you'll ever see. <laughs> like that own goal. What a finish. That own what goal a was the thousandth own goal scored in the Premier League. <laughs> what a way to get it. <laughs> what a way to do it. Celebrated in style. Um, <laughs> did the really dramatic, you know, down to the knees, head on the grass. You know, he embraced that moment. Villa are workmanlike. Like, you know, they might nicely be more talented than you, but you've got to match their level of intensity and desire and drive. And uh, I don't know about you, it again just felt like they were so much fitter and faster. Like Watkins, Traore, um, Grealish, El Mahamedi, I think they had McGinn in centre mid with uh, Nakamba and they just seemed to cover so much more space and, and press so much more effectively um, it, it, that felt like the kind of thing we used to do to teams and it, w- it was not enjoyable being on the other end of it Yeah, like we said in, I think when we covered the Leeds game it's basically a hangover from, from the Jose era that that kind of tenacious pressing that we're so used to that requires quite a high level of fitness was definitely lacking. Not many clubs actually make McGinn look like some sort of Glaswegian Iniesta, do they? I mean, he was absolutely (laughs) running the show and he had absolutely, he didn't deserve to. He's he's a pretty good player for a mid-table team in Villa, but we made him look absolutely sublime. And like you say, it's that choice of Hoybier and Weeks in midfield. It just... It doesn't work. We saw that in the in the League Cup final. And Hoiberg, I feel sorry for him. He looks absolutely knackered. I don't think he missed a minute in the Premier League this season. And you could fucking tell by this game. <laughs> he looked like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the end of The Revenant. You know, it's just <laughs> absolute survival movie where he's absolutely had to drag his way through the shower of shit that we've had to throw at him, which probably has included fighting a bear at some point. I mean, as a whole, we're a team... That remind me a lot of like a wind-up toy where we're only good in little sections, but the key's broken. We, we don't like being wound up. Um, but yeah, our biggest problem is our defensive midfield. And we've spoken about tenacity and uh, just being awful players. But a lot of it is they're so bad on the ball. So we can't, you know, the best way to release pressure on yourself when you're playing a high-intensity team is to move the ball and keep the ball. Um, that's why whenever you see teams come off against playing against City, they're they're shattered and City look like they could play another ninety minutes because you know that like I said that's that's how you release the pressure if you, if you've got the ball you keep them chasing it but we don't have players that can do that. Do you think Fen um, should we be worried about Tongi? Not really. I mean, he, he kind of proved Jose and, and a lot of us wrong by returning back to the squad. We definitely know his ability. We know it's there. He's just got to keep his fitness up, essentially. I mean, he, we'll come on to it later. But he needs he to get onto the pitch if we're gonna if we're gonna get anything out of him, though. Like yeah, he's, he hasn't featured really in a few weeks. It, that's one of the things of Mason's tenure that that probably don't shine shine so well. And he was so fixated on getting Deli Ali back into the team that it meant that someone out of Ndombele, Lachelso, Winks was probably going to lose out every week uh, and obviously his go-to was predominantly Lachelso, which I could kind of understand we, we know what Lachelso can bring, he wanted a player who was very creative, very good on the ball had fantastic vision but without Ndombele you haven't got someone who can break a press and do something a little bit unpredictable, a bit different to, to actually you know, break the play and break up the pitch, which you're never going to get that from Winks and Hoybier, are you? Um, so 
that was definitely something he did do so well. And like he didn't even utilise him well as a substitute either. He Mason clearly learned that from Pochettino. He's making his substitutions far too late in the game for me to actually affect a game when we were already losing. Because at no point, we looked better when Ndombele come on, but at no point did I actually think, oh, we've got a chance of equalising here or even winning the game. If anything, it should have been 3-1. Yeah, to be fair, that was really different in the Leicester game, though, where the substitutes come on and made a huge difference. Jules, was that Leicester bottling in it, or did we turn up and give him a bloody good game? Uh, I, I hate to say it, I think it was more of the former. Um, <laughs> it's it's a weird moment where Schmeichel decides to punch the ball into his own goal. Um, and then cry and try and get a foul out of it. <laughs> yeah. And, his and, head's gone. And, yeah. and Hilarious. Equally, I love it. <laughs> and, and equally, we should be ready to admit that we've had some luck with decisions. I think in the uh, in the last couple of games, you know, Watkins should have had a penalty for Villa against us. We forget that Lloris just took him out for absolutely no reason, and it was not given. I, like, I laughed when that happened. Like I didn't know what else to do. It was <laughs> so <laughs> stuck. So but you got to remember, we got away with that. They should have been three one up at half time. Yeah. And then in this game, Harry Kane does handball the ball. And I don't really understand how VAR have <laughs> decided that he, it shouldn't be pulled back for it when, like, six seconds later we score. It's such um, a strange rule, isn't it? Because the whole point was that, I mean, for what it's worth, he doesn't get an advantage from it. I don't think those, that should be handball. But under the rule, it's a handball. Yeah, exactly. And the, the whole reason they didn't give it was because it didn't lead instantly to a goal. But he was the person who got the assist. How the fuck yeah, did it not lead to a goal? He got the ball by virtue of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> but I I'm not going to argue with it because by virtue of interpretation of rules, we've won the game. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be aggrieved if I were Leicester. I think they've had a long season. They've had some really awful luck with injuries. Madison's been out for a long time. Fafana was. James Justin was a huge loss. Pereira was a huge loss. John so they, they, they've, they've been unlucky. And I think they got nervy and twitchy. And But equally, there's a little part of me which goes, if you couldn't beat this Tottenham team, you maybe don't deserve Champions League football. <laughs> Can we just take a look at that second penalty that they got? Because Here we go. Because for me, not a pen, Vardy, was it? Not a pen for you, Ash. Classic. Vardy, the referee, and whoever's in VAR can get to fuck if that's a penalty. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man! If you're, really if you're driving down the A10, Tom, you know that road really well. Yeah. And some twat on the inside lane decides to cut you up, and you hit the back of them. Yeah. Is that your fault? No, the fucking hell, it ain't. That's just ridiculous. I mean, Vardy runs across Sanchez, who doesn't change his path doesn't lean into him or anything. Vardy grabs Sanchez's arm and then throws himself to the floor. That is never, ever, ever a foul. Yeah, That's but... Good enough. <laughs> he if knows was, how if to... Was, if that was Harry Kane, if that was Deli Alli, we wouldn't be talking about it being clever. Well, we would, because we're Tottenham fans. But no one else would be talking about it being clever or smart. They'll be calling him out for being a cheater. Do you remember the fucking time Sky made Kane do an interview and they showed him the video of his dive? Where the fuck was that on Vardy? Ash, I, I admire your passion and, and I wish I could have you in as the defensive coach, like sort of M, like NFL style for the for the Spurs backline. Um, but it's an absolute stonewaller. Like no. as soon as <laughs> as soon as the as soon as the striker gets goal side of the defender, you can't afford to run into him. Saying like, well, happen, no. I shouldn't have to change my I shouldn't have to change my direction is really null and void. And all, I I th this is maybe, maybe this is a difference purely based on experience but when i play i know that if i did that i would give away a pen like i feel i feel like maybe it's the, it's the difference of like like the more used you are to it you just give up on like whether it's right or wrong or whether vardy buys it or not i don't care if someone buys it because i'm just used to playing people who will try to so you can't afford to touch them we shouldn't be expecting fouls to be given away just because somebody touched someone a defender should be allowed to try and track the ball back and get it. If the striker runs into the defender, grabs him and then falls down, the defender should not be published for that. I mean, I'm speaking as someone who played at the lowest possible level as a centre-back. And by that, man, I mean high school. Um, <laughs> but I was a centre-back. And, you know, you have to try and be able to get the ball. We, we are ruining the art of defending with these calls. Like, there's nothing Sanchez can do. Absolutely nothing he can do. I think I think the simple answer for me is 
Vardy has been smart because he's got on goal side of Sanchez and therefore Sanchez is having to make a decision between either foul him and give the pen or don't foul him and he has a clear shot on goal. And Sanchez, as is often the case, doesn't take the right decision in those moments. I can see why. Like, I'll give, like, Vardy's got craft. We know what he's like. And Ash is going to moan at me again. Uh, you, but, like, <laughs> I'll try and make sure you, I don't trigger you again because you'll end up saying the same things. But you know, what you, you know what you get with Vardy. He's looking to get tangled up with Sanchez. And I can see why they pick Sanchez because you need his pace when you're playing Ianacho and Vardy. And even when Alderweire gave away the penalty before that, that, that was Alderweire's fault, absolutely. But yeah. Vardy also knows that a centre-back is quite likely to make that error and try and reach back for the ball. So he knows if I just keep running across here, there's a chance here I might get cleared and I'm in the box. He's not that stupid. He knows that if he runs that close alongside Sanchez, I think he's given away more penalties than like, anyone in the Spurs team, then there's a, there's a risk to be... Oh, sorry, there's an opportunity to be had. You know he's a risk and he's the highest risk that we've ever got. And he happened to be playing in that game. So I can see why he does it. But I, I, I do think it was deliberate by Vardy. But at the same time, I think it was quite coy. If, if it were me, as a Leicester fan, I'd be thinking, good. He's, he's being the intelligent Burke that uh, a certain former manager would have wanted us to be. But <laughs> moving on, before you fucking blow another gasket, we should bear in mind that actually in terms of clear-cut chances... The best opportunities Leicester had, as in their two goals, were gifted to them. We essentially, okay, maybe the Sanchez one wasn't gifted to him, according to Ashley, but they didn't really create loads of great goal-scoring opportunities. We gifted them two goals, and in fairness to us, we went up the other end and scored four somehow, despite not looking that good for most of the game. So I think, although Jules was saying they bottled it to a large extent, they did, but also to a large extent, we probably managed to pressure quite well, considering. The best way to describe this game is that Leicester should have gone in and controlled it because they have a better system to control a football match. They should have dominated the ball, dominated the, the territory. Because they didn't, whether it be nerves or injuries or just an off day, it became an end-to-end classic last day of the season game where it's kind of just chances go both ways a bit and it, it depends on who's feeling it that day. And we were lucky that Gareth Bale came off the bench and <laughs> did very well. Um, it's a weird one with with Bale because, I, you know, I think he's unlikely to stay. He he leaves having got eleven Premier League goals in twenty games and sixteen mm-hmm. goals in like thirty odd games uh, in all competitions. So has he been a success? I, I'd argue yes. Is he a good good part of an overall a functioning team? I wouldn't say so. <laughs> but at the same time, you kind of can't criticise the output he's delivered for us in the in the time, the year that we've had him for. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's got more more goals than Aubameyang, Cavani, Sterling, Firmino and Jesus this year. And he's got as many goals as Rashford, Mane and Zaha. That's pretty good company to keep, isn't it? But yeah, I'd have him back in a heartbeat. I mean, obviously someone made the point that how many of his goals come against a, a top 10 team. But um, number one, how many goals did we score against a top 10 team uh, anyway? Um, and how many times did he play against them? Um, he was he was let down, number one, by Jose Mourinho not trusting him. And number two, by Jose Mourinho employing a system that doesn't benefit him. So if we're trying to get back to the the quote-unquote Tottenham DNA, I think he comes in and um, I think he does pretty well in that system. Can, can I ask Fenn one thought on him? No. Let's, <laughs> let's imagine worst-case scenario for a sec that uh, a certain a certain Harry leaves the club for whatever reason. Winks, and, that'd be a touch. Yeah, that'd be lovely, wouldn't it? And you suddenly got this gaping hole up front. To, if you could sign him on a free from Real, so again, you just pay the same wages and you just have him again on like a one-year, two-year deal, would you be tempted to sign him and just play him at nine, given he basically is just quite a selfish nine at this point? Like, we only play him on the right because he's left-footed. But if you just <laughs> play him through the middle, he's tall, he's good in the air, he's surprisingly quick when he chooses to be, and would he not be a very good person to learn from for maybe your Troy Parrots, your Dane Scarlets, who are coming through and need maybe a model forward to, 
to sort of take the last 20 minutes of games off. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, what the biggest thing that would affect my decision to bring him back is definitely the manager that once we know who we're going to have and the likely system that they're going to play, whether or not Bale fits into that. And Bale, like you say, I like the idea of him as a nine. I definitely agree with your logic, but I just think there's um, he's still got maybe not an arrogance, maybe that's not the right word, but he still wants to play on that right-hand side. That That's what he wants to do. He wants to cut in onto his left foot. But if we're playing a, a high-press system going forward, then he's not going to fit into that system. Then you think, well, do, do you keep him and then play him in games against bottom-half teams? Because he can be a bit more of a luxury then. So there might still be some merit in playing him on the right side against lesser half teams and he will still give you an output of like 10 to 15 goals across the year. But it's, you know, where could he play 90 minutes you know, every week up front? Because really, from your striker, you don't really want to substitute your striker necessarily. It could be a waste of a substitute tactically because it, it doesn't give you much. So I do like him as a centre forward. I, I don't disagree with you, but I just can't see it happening. The, the question which kind of underlines all this is, how much do you back Dane Scarlett or Troy Parrott to step up and get goals in the conference? And, uh, you know, maybe if, if we're not there yet, then we need to look at other options and a, a more durable striker. Yeah, but at least, <laughs> at least when it comes to it, when he was running down the middle against Leicester, he, he gave us two late vital goals by being in the right place at the right time, which is no mistake. The, the fourth one was particularly hilarious because no, no one wanted to tackle him. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> love that. Can we have a Harry Kane loving? I mean, I'm not interested in talking about rumours. If he if he goes, let's hope he reinvest the we reinvest the money well. Let's, let's hope he stays anyway. But what a season he's had, regardless. Top goal scorer and top playmaker. What a what a man. Um, in a, in a in a team that failed to produce on a weekly basis. Have you ever seen a, a better performance from any Tottenham player over the course of a season that we've got from Harry Kane this season, Jules? I don't think so. I think he's been the most complete player I've seen in a in a Spurs shirt. Um, I was actually chatting to my uncle a while ago about this and he said the last player you can remember being this good all round was sharing him um, mm. as someone who kind of could link the play, could, <laughs> could play for you in centre mid or up front or anywhere and he would just be elite. I mean, but I, I have special memories of Bale hitting so many long shots in that season before Real Madrid. But yeah, I think I think it's hard to argue. He's he's the MVP, um, top goal scorer, most assists. Um, you know what a man! And to, to have someone like that come through our academy, I think was something we'll all be proud of and we'll all remember for for a very long time. Thinking about how this season has gone and what's wrong, and the need for a manager that's going to come in and create something to be excited by at Spurs. Um, I was reading some comments the other day about Fulham uh, and their kind of existential crisis because they've they've kind of become a Premier League yo-yo team. They cock it up every time they come up and then they go down and they're too good not to come up. But they don't really know what they're doing. They don't have much of a direction. And I, I kind of feel the same about Spurs. Daniel Levy, for one, I know a lot of people really don't like him anymore but I think he's a bigger issue than a lot of people realise because when was the last time Daniel Levy made a good footballing decision it was probably well no (laughs) (laughs) but that's that's undoing that's undoing it's hiring Poch isn't it yeah Yeah. but but then since then you've had Jose before then you had Tim Sherwood this is a guy that makes a lot of decisions that turn out to be bad and then he spends a lot of money trying to undo them. And I saw this, the thing that was going around earlier today about the next manager being a financial challenge for Spurs. And it's like, where is the direction going to come from? And I think that's, that's kind of the key for next season, is the, uh, yeah, giving, giving the kids some time and letting them develop. But it needs whoever that head coach is and the football people in the club to... I think, rediscover what it is they want to achieve rather than just saying we want to play the Tottenham way. Like, actually decide in your heads what the Tottenham way means and how you can get there rather than just saying the Tottenham way because otherwise that's really easy. 
and it doesn't it doesn't like it, it doesn't solve your problem so yeah i mean it's hardly profound but but that kind of that appointment is probably the most important for a very long time we've spoken about it a few times in the pod and a head coach for us i don't think is enough we need a sporting director we need someone who can take the reins off of levy let levy do the business side of things and have someone with some actual football intelligence to run run the stuff on the pitch because we need to we talk about this dna but this dna doesn't just turn up or it doesn't just reappear it has to be built back into back into the club and to do that you need to ensure there's a proper recruitment structure and there's also a way of playing and a philosophy that runs through the whole of the youth system and into the first team and we haven't had that since since Poch was let go so I, to, to be honest the head coach for me it, it, we could get a fantastic head coach in but if we don't sort out our recruitment it, it's all for nothing I mean I think the last three or four weeks I've been banging on about culture which I think is the word and uh, like these stories that have come out from fairly reputable sources that he had us to gold about uh, a manager that might be financially I mean everything's financially challenging to this fucking football club but you know <laughs> a manager that is financially challenging is concerning because like does does Levy not learn from his mistakes we know we're not that sort of club I'm, I'm happy to accept that I'm quite happy we don't go down the financial doping route in all honesty despite having actually very rich owners it's nice that we try and do it properly and sustainably but you know there's, there's, there's got there's got to be a point where you, where you strike a balance uh but if you get the sort of manager who's going to ask for too much then the balance goes too far in the wrong direction and there's just going to be a bit of a bit of a rivalry between management and ownership which the most successful clubs don't actually have um so i'm a little bit concerned by that story today uh ash i don't know you've got a bit of hashtag in the know about potential new management i don't know if you're prepared to say that no there's just just um i don't think people in the club other than sort of levy and the top dogs know who it is but it does seem that a, a announcement is due within um, within sort of a week, ten days. So we should know who it is. The I think the financial aspect, as much as it is in terms of recruitment, it might also be the, to the challenging part is that we're looking at coaches that are already in contracts in clubs. So we have to buy them out of their contract, and that might be the bit that's challenging more than um you know transfers let's say so hopefully hopefully that is the case um but yeah we're, we're expecting a uh we're expecting an announcement around the first i think you know i think it, it's um it's a weird one where sometimes there can be such fanfare about like a backup right back being signed and there's like a sky sports article and there's like a player profile done and it's like whatever <laughs> but the most important piece of news that we should cover on this pod in the next few months will be whether or not well if it comes um an announcement about a change to our recruitment structure or to our footballing structure within the club it's it's that 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 announcement is more important if we see a an acampus join or a rangnit join in a capacity that's what's going to really change the uh change the mode so let's not let's not go through every tom dick and harry might get the job um, it might be a bit boring, but when they do, when they are announced, then we will we will have a think about the kind of manager they are and what they'll bring and add to our sort of uh, footballing footballing culture uh, as a club. Yeah, definitely. Once that announcement is made, and I know we will be going back to this podcast weekly, but yeah, definitely going forward. Once these bits of news come through, no doubt you'll hear us uh, and you'll, you'll hear our views on that. One thing I think that's worth bearing in mind as well, like Steve Hitchin gets a lot of shit. <laughs> and to some extent, uh, it's it, it, it does kind of deserve it. But you know, it's it. I mean, it looks bad on Twitter because everyone's slagging off Hitchin, which, it, it, in fairness, is quite a good provincial satellite town in Hertfordshire to live in. <laughs> so, <laughs> for the Hitchin tourist board, it must be an absolute nightmare. But um, well, I'm not actually convinced that isn't actually his official title. It's something different. But people forget. I feel. Appreciate it was this season that we had the director of football. His name was Trevor Birch. I mean, he was only here for a couple of months. We got him from Swansea. 
and then he fucked off to the FA very quickly soon after. So it's, <laughs> it, that kind of backfired. It just goes to show that like, there is an appetite for that sort of thing. And like Hitchin will get a bad rep because there is, he's not actually, I'm sure he's an absolutely excellent scout. But if you haven't got any direction, it's just not going to, you're not going to find the right players because you haven't got the culture and the plans for what you're looking for. It's like if you, you're trying to build an extension on your house, which again is a, a reference I used in the last pod that I was on. But if you give your builder a sketch that, that you have done, that or like your kid has done, it's going to be shit. So someone needs to give Steve Hitchin an actual architect's drawing of what is the, the Tottenham DNA and perhaps I think the director that, of football working over him. I think, I think the interesting thing with that, when you talk about the kind of, I don't know, kind of wood that you're trying to buy Fen. I don't know the kind of bricks you're trying to get are there multiple yeah, kinds of know, bricks the I'm not I'm... <laughs> a bit more than 4b2 but like a bit yeah. of freeze block it's clearly well, I... a man who's not familiar with a blue collar job <laughs> I don't know I'll, I'll be honest with you I'm not an expert on bricks um, <laughs> but what, what I will say is I was listening to uh, the Peter Crouch podcast um, and he was interviewing Mark Noble uh, this week mm. and and Mark Noble was talking about um, uh, it's Kufal and uh, and the, who's the, the tool centre mid again? Suchek. Suchek. And apparently, when they were signed, like the rest of the squad were like, "Who the fuck are these two? Like they honestly had no idea. But they just immediately came in and they fit with the kind of culture that tends to do well at West Ham. There are a couple of examples of like um, Suchek was going down and training in like Hackney Marshes and stuff on his off days and Kufal's like parents came over and he sent them back to the airport on the Stansted Express train and stuff <laughs> getting them a cab to save the money <laughs> and they were just apparently like they're just very nice hard-working lads who just immediately slotted into the kind of culture that tends to do well at that club and I think it's it's one of the underrated aspects that we should probably consider is depending on the signing that comes in, they don't have to necessarily be the most high profile. It's are they the right kind of person mm. for, for Spurs? Are they, are they going to fit the club's uh, squad and what the club, the club's sort of ethos is? Um, so if we can get more players like that in, um, then I think we're, we're sort of halfway there to help, help Hitch and get the right kind of brick and the right four by twos. <laughs> yeah. In fairness, Moyes is very good at that. I know that, uh, as part of his setups, wherever he's been, when he was there long enough, he'll he will know ten players in each position that he will want, and he'll rank them in order of preference. And if he can't get enough, the club can't afford number one, they'll skip down to number two, etc. So he's always using a, a, an extensive scouting network. He's always got an eye on how to improve his squad, and it's that kind of mentality that that we we've really been lacking for for quite some time. It was never really even properly set up under punch really it just so happened that he was such a good coach that he was able to to keep things going because there was no recruitment because we didn't sign anyone for 18 months i think uh, i think Poch's, <laughs> i think Poch's player recruitment in terms of personality was argentinian i think that <laughs> that, <laughs> that was the uh it's like <laughs> lamella la celso foyt gazaniga <laughs> his own son like <laughs> we got we got lucky with loads of signings that we made I say signings with the squad that we built when Poch was there because nobody expected anything from Kane certainly not to come the way he did Son was brought in sort of as a backup as an unknown I don't think anyone expected him to become um one of the, you know what was he that fourth in the top scoring charts this year nobody expected him to put those kind of numbers and then we had Deli Ali again. No one expected him to turn up. I think the only one really we had expectations for were like Lloris and, and Ericsson. So we obviously were there before, but I meant around that time. So yeah, you're right. We we need a change that is going to come in and and outlast our managers. That's how you build. That's how you build a DNA. That's how you build culture. And because we haven't had that, we've now got this sort of stockpile of players that just don't fit what we recognise as a Tottenham team. Um, you know, your Sissokos, even your Aurier's and your um, your Lamellas to, to some extent as well. And I, we need to shift them on. Our, our biggest thing this year, because we know money's tight, it's tight for everyone. And we know we need some, you know, three or four quality players. But before we can do that, we need to shift, shift some on. 
I think that has to be priority number one for us to try to move on the likes of Sissoko, Aurier, I'd say Dyer, Sanchez, Lamella. I'd even let Lucas Moura go. I don't know if you feel the same, Jules. I wouldn't disagree with any of those. Um, can I add Harry Winks? He can <laughs> he, he can get to fuck. Like, I'm so <laughs> done with Harry Winks. Um, Tom, you referenced earlier your, you were disappointed with our little loving with Leicester last week. And I mean, personally, I now feel they should be relegated purely because they have clappers in the fan in the fans, and that's the most <laughs> annoying kind of atmosphere since the Vuvuzela. So, why do you hate Leicester? It depends how much you know about King Power. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Little test. What What do you know about their ownership? They're Thai billionaires, aren't they? Oh uh, yes, yes, they are, Jules. Um, yeah, basically, everyone thinks that they're they're. You know, plucky little Leicester, look at them with all their courage coming back up to the Premier League uh, and winning the title. Yes, they haven't done it in the financially doped way that you see with Chelsea and City, which, you know, it gets said enough that it's not. It's not good cricket, I'll put it that way. But so you've got what is uh, Leicester's former chairman, the late uh, Vichai, I will not attempt to pronounce his surname, uh, and now the, now the current chairman, uh, Iowa. Um, are also the people who run King Power, who are essentially the big backer behind the Thai consortium that bought Leicester in 2010. King Power are Thailand's biggest duty-free retailer, for those that don't know. Uh, and they are the Thailand's biggest duty-free retailer because they are essentially Thailand's only duty-free <laughs> retailer. When a uh, they basically got big in the 90s uh, and were able to monopolise the uh, duty-free market because they were the only one allowed to operate by the government, uh, essentially. Uh, they've been accused over the years um, of corruption by not sharing enough of their agreed profits with, with the government, sort of hundreds of millions of pounds worth of, of profit that they've been accused um, of uh, hiding away from the government. Uh, but I'll, I'll be balanced. They have, they do a lot of philanthropy and they've got projects that are aimed at developing grassroots football in Leicester uh, and in Thailand, which is lovely. But if you speak to anyone who was watching Leicester when they were in the championship, but they, they essentially financially doped their way out of the championship, just like Wolves did, but probably a bit more subtly. Uh, and to be fair to them, they did it in a lot more coherent and structured way. So it wasn't as obvious as like when you get with your cities and your Chelsea's and, and that kind of level of doping but it was it was subtle and they weren't that well liked in the championship which a lot of people forget and then you get obviously the entire consortium money bought by King Power who then buy the naming rights to the stadium sponsor the shirt for years I don't think they sponsor the shirt anymore but who sponsors the shirt now oh it's the uh, the you know, the the Thai tourist board essentially sponsors them because they're so well interlinked with the Thai government essentially and, and the state there. So it's not as pure for me. It's not as meritocratic as some of these so-called purists like to make out that there is a bit of cynicism to the way that they've done things. And it's not, you know, it's nowhere near on the level of, as we see with your cities and your Chelsea's, but it for me it's it's slightly tinged. You got you got to see through a lot of the cynicisms for me. They just do it in, in a very effective and efficient way, which you do have to give them credit for in fairness. I've I've got three things to say to you. Uh oh. Number one, <laughs> thank God they're just not human rights abusers and like a state essentially. So I know it's a low bar that we now set for ownership, but <laughs> provided that they're not doing that. I, I hate to say it, I think that's like a good owner nowadays. Number two, what is wrong with a good Thai green curry? And number three... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how that's relevant. <laughs> and, and number three, is this not all just a bit of jealousy on our part? Because the reality is with Leicester, I think you said it on the last, the last pod actually, we've got a similar or even bigger size fan base, stadium, financial resource and kind of uh, scale, I guess. And we're just not doing it as effectively and efficiently as they are. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Do like their food, though. 
Anyway, I think that's about it uh, for this season anyway. Thank you very much, not just for listening to this podcast, but if you've been listening to us throughout the season, we're very grateful. This has been our first season. We hope it went well. Uh, tell us if it did or if it didn't, maybe less publicly, but tell us <laughs> anything we can do better, uh, anything we can do in the future. We're always uh, all ears. Uh, stay tuned with what we're doing uh, on Twitter, cock and ball underscore pod. We're also on Facebook. We're also on Instagram. Uh, we will be doing some things over the summer to kind of stay hashtag relevant. Um, we've got our spin-off podcast, which is called Third Eye. We've talked about the Euros on that uh, and the European Super League at the time we discuss it. We deal with sort of general football matters in our Third Eye podcast, which we'll probably touch on again uh, as the Euros progresses. So, so keep a third eye out for that. See what I did there. Uh, you can find out on all of our cock and ball channels, uh, wherever you find us, wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, as and when we find out who our next manager is, if there are actually any big signings to talk about, no doubt you'll be hearing from us. But uh, until next time, and certainly uh, until the start of the new season, thanks for sticking with us, uh, and we'll see you when we see you.